first reading this morning is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's on page 1126 of the Church Bibles. So it's page 1126, and it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 1. Instructions on worship. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all goodliness, godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and human beings, Christ Jesus himself, human, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at, all, at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. And if you'd like to stand for the gospel reading, please do. It's taken from Luke chapter 16. It can be found on page 991 of the Church Bibles. Luke chapter 16, beginning to read at verse 1. The parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples... There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here... People will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of oil, olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? 30 tonnes of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 24. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted, devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Lord. Good morning. And uh, the first thing I do when I get asked to preach um, is to look and see what the topic is. Uh, now, sometimes it doesn't work quite out right. I, have, I once prepared a sermon on a passage that came after the reading, so that was a bit of a disaster, but there we go. So on this occasion, I looked at the passage and I went, oh, thanks, Paulette. <laughs> oh, my word alive. Looking at the parable, there are some things that are quite a challenge for a preacher, well, at least one for my level of expertise. I sometimes find it helpful to look at the context of the passage. Where is it in the Bible story? Here we read Jesus being in full teaching mode. He's still some way from the cross at Calvary. And in chapter 15, he's been preaching to the Pharisees and tax collectors and sinners. He tells them about the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. But then in chapter 16, Luke writes that he told his disciples. So in chapter 16, we read about the parable of the shrewd man addressed to his disciples. We hear a story of a man Who's a, who's a manager for a rich man. Now, this is like the Carson to the Earl of Grantham from Downton Abbey. Now, to be clear, there wasn't a real person any more than the Earl of Grantham was a real person. It's a story Jesus made up and then told to make a point. We need to be careful not to add too much to these parables, in effect, giving them a backstory that just wasn't there. So let's be careful not to add to the story. But just to be clear, there was once an Earl of Grantham, but he died in 1754. So the current one, um, Downton Abbey, is not correct. So here we have a Carson-type manager for a rich man. Now, I'm no Downton Abbey expert, as my wife will tell you, so please don't form a an orderly cue to complain if I've maligned the character of Carson. Okay? It's just easier if I call the manager Carson and the rich man the Earl. So the Carson character is found to have wasted the Earl of Grantham's money. So the Earl calls him in and says that he's got to give an account for himself. Carson's role is to collect the money that is owed to the Earl from the Earl's debtors. Now, when the Carson's character is called in to give an account, he's being called to present the books, the accounts, the balance sheet of what he's got for his boss and what's still outstanding. He is out of a job but he needs to tell the Earl the state of the Earl's finances. Now, Carson realizes he's in a, he's in a pickle. He's not strong enough to, for manual labor and doesn't want to beg. So he comes up with a cunning plan. He works out a way to find favor with other merchants. In effect, he's hoping to become part of their household. He can move from the Earl of Grantham's estate to the Duke of Seasalter's house. Now, this is not about dossing or staying kipping on the, on the Duke of Seasalter's sofa. It's about getting a new boss. This is about getting a new job. The Carson character calls in those who owe his master money. The first person, in my translation, owes 800 gallons of olive oil. See, I'm, I'm not metric at all. Um, now, I'm not hot, hot on the price of olive oil. But what I've read, that's about three years of an average salary. He says to the debtor, that's fine, cut the bill to 50%, pay it, and we'll call it quits. And the, and the guy says, well, of course, that sounds like a good deal, I'll take that. Carson calls in the next debtor, who owes 1,000 bushels of wheat. 
Now, I'm not hot on how much wheat is worth, but it does seem a lot. And what I've read is about nine years of an average salary. It's a lot of money. He deals with a debtor and says, look, pay 80% and we call it quits. Now, there is some debate in Christian circles as to exactly what did the manager do? Don't forget, this is not a real story. Now, there are two options of what Jesus could have been picturing. And either work and would have been shrewd. It could have been that Jesus was picturing Carson getting rid of his commission, his cut of what he would take off the top from the, from the debt. So the, the earl still gets what he's owed. That would have been one shrewd way of doing it. Or it could have been that the Carson character is sorting out bad debts that people haven't paid for their oil and their wheat. And in that story, the bad, it's better sometimes to get some money of a bad debt than just leave a whole big bad debt for a long time. Whatever happens, the Earl says in the story that Carson's done a shrewd thing. He doesn't say Carson can keep his job. He's still fired. He just commends the shrewd way that he's dealt with the money. So what's Jesus looking to teach here? He's looking to give us some guidance on money and importantly our attitude to money and how we spend it. He starts some teaching in earnest in, in verse 9. And when you look at that, he says, he says, use the wealth you've got, spend the money, and in effect, buy friends. Now that just seems just wrong, doesn't it? It just seems wrong to do that. But let's think about what Jesus said. And, let's, and what follows on from that story that he's just told. He says to gain friends by using your wealth. Now, some will say he's being ironic. It's actually quite hard to read irony in text, as so much of it is conveyed in the way something's actually said. As the, Frank, as the comedian Frank Carson would say, it's the way you tell them. Um, and that's the way that you know, he would give a story, and it'd be funny because of the way that it was told. So Jesus might have been ironic, but let's take it at face value, unless it's clear otherwise. Because I think he was actually giving us a way to live. So bear with me as we talk through it. So how does friendship work? Well, when you gain a friend, you start to be their friend. You start a relationship. They're a stranger before you, they become your friend, but then you get to know them in some way. Now, I have a friend who I won't name. But before they became my friend, I was not very friendly to them at all. In fact, once they're annoying me so much that I almost punched them. I actually drew back my fist, my right fist, just like this, and, and was about to do it, and then I thought, what am I doing? It's not that I suddenly liked them, but candidly, I worried about my career. That's why I didn't punch them. Now, today, I consider that person to be one of my best friends. There is little I would not do for them and them for me. I trust them implicitly and value them highly. So what has Jesus told us to do? Well, taking a person who you don't know and then giving them some money or some support is in effect what Jesus is saying. How about a practical example? The young people of this church support a child in Guatemala. They had not met him when they started giving him money. They knew nothing about him. But they started to send him money to pay for his schooling and his living costs. Now he sends them letters and pictures. In effect, they have started a relationship. It's not a close personal relationship they see him every day at, at school, but they are being friendly to him. 
they're using their money to be friendly. There are a number of organizations that this church supports through the Close to Home Project, where people who are in need that we don't know get blessed with a gift or practical support. So you could give money to Christians Against Poverty. You could give some money to support the Live Village project that is connected with Soul Survivor. Or you could give money to MAF to help us fly aircraft to reach isolated people to see them physically and spiritually transformed in Christ's name. Or you could do a reverse Advent Christmas box to help a local family who need that extra little bit of help at Christmas that time of year. Why do we do that? We do it so they are transformed by the gospel. God has been generous to us, and we have become children of God. And we want to see those who are not yet children of God become children of God. You're not buying, perf- buying friends for the sole purpose of friendship. You're using money to reach out to people to impact them with the gospel. So that when the world is gone, they will be there in heaven with you. You will be able to go into the dwelling that Jesus has gone to prepare for them. Because we know that he's gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. Having dealt with that bit, the next part of the passage, Jesus is telling us, his disciples, how to deal with issues of trust. In short, he says, don't trust someone with a lot of stuff if they can't be trusted with a small amount. If a child's not good with their pocket money, you wouldn't give them any more, would you? You wouldn't contemplate giving them your monthly pay packet or your pension. Likewise, he says, if people can't be trusted with money, you shouldn't trust them with true riches, i.e. things of the kingdom. If the person is a thief, you wouldn't let them in a position of trust in the church. You wouldn't let them lead youth ministry, for example. You would instead wait and then let them demonstrate that you can trust them with worldly things before you give them responsibility for heavenly things. In the Church of England, you don't have a new curate get promoted to be the Archbishop of Canterbury. Or let me become the Archbishop of Canterbury. But she needs to be our vicar first. People, <laughs> people need to demonstrate they can be trusted in every increasing area of responsibility before they get up the next rung of the ladder. Now we're told to be shrewd and careful with our money. After all, it's not actually ours. It all comes from God. It is his money. And we are looking after it. In effect, we are the shrewd manager who is looking after his master's money. We need to deal with it well and use it for a purpose. So after saying we need to be shrewd and trustworthy, Jesus comes to the last section of this reading today about who we will serve. Will we serve God or money? If we serve money, we look to make money our goal. We look to ensure that it's cared for and it becomes the object of our attention, the focus of our time and utmost importance. Jesus was not saying we have to be foolhardy with money. He was not saying that money was bad. And our helpful passage is often misquoted as saying that money is the root of all evil. Actually, in Paul's letter to Timothy, he says, For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are trapped and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So it's the love of money that causes problems. It doesn't matter how much you have or don't have. It's your attitude to it. You can be poor and have a bad attitude to money. 
You can be good, have lots of money and have a bad attitude to money. The crucial aspect, as Jesus sees it, is you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve two masters. When I was in the police, we had chains of command. When I was a constable, I had a sergeant who in turn had an inspector, who had a chief inspector, all the way up to the top to the chief constable. I knew who to turn to who was in charge of me. The crucial part of it is that one sergeant looked after a number of constables, and in turn one inspector looked after a number of sergeants. It would have been a real problem if you'd had more than one inspector, if you'd had two inspectors, because then who do you turn to if you need a decision? If you don't get the answer from one that you like, you might go to the other one. That would be a disaster. We all see that with our children, don't we? Mum said this, Dad says that. Where, which one do you turn to? The temptation would be if you had a nice inspector, you'd go and talk to them, but you'd ignore the other. That's just not good. How many legs have we got? Two. How many heads have we got? One. Isn't that a good idea? Makes it a lot easier to walk down the street with only one head. So who is your master? Who do you serve? Now, an important part of our service is our attitude as to who we're serving. Attitude is important. And I'll give you a couple examples. A grumpy teenager begrudgingly serves their parents a cup of tea. Oh, do I have to? You're so mean to me. Or a happy puppy wagging its tail brings its owner a toy just because it can. Which one would you rather engage with? I know which one I'd rather engage with any day and twice on a Sunday. Who would you rather be served by? So it is in service that you use your money to help those in need, those who are not your friends or your family. When you serve, in effect, you make something an idol. You can start so store up your money so it becomes an idol that you worship. An idol that takes away your focus, your desire, your attention, the thoughts at the expense of other things. How easy is it to get this wrong? Well, in my experience, very. And this is a work in progress for me. And I'm working on it. I'm being very candid and honest here. You see, I like purchasing things. Can be small, can be big. I enjoy the research about the different features or functions that an item might have be it a new jigsaw for my tool set or a new phone case for my iPhone. And all this is made worse by Facebook, which pops up into my feed things that I, it thinks I might like. How does it know that? Well, my Amazon account and my Google account are connected to Facebook. It sees I've been looking at widget making tool, and it says, well, if you like to make widgets, perhaps you'd like a widget storage case. How quickly can that become the focus? Oh, yes, I think I do need a widget storage case. The widget storage case would help me organize my widgets better. The challenge I face is how much time do I spend browsing the Amazon virtual shop window and how much time do I spend reading my Bible? As I've said, it's a work in progress. And it's hard because doing research is actually a wise thing to do. How do you spend your money is a wise thing to do. But it is the depth and the focus of the heart attitude that is good to keep an eye on. What fills your waking thoughts? Because our service does not add anything to God. He doesn't need our service to make him complete. In Acts 17.25 it says, And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, but because he himself gives all men life, breath, and everything. So whilst God does not need us to be served, he calls upon us to serve, 
and our service should be motivated by our heart. Well, who is our pattern and our model in this? Christ. Jesus himself tells us how he was going to live in Mark 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. We are to serve, and part of that service is giving things away. So to summarize, money is not evil, but your attitude to money is important. And I suggest how you handle your money is a reflection of your heart attitude to God. Perhaps it might be good to reflect on the attitude. It can be a painful, challenging, challenging process, but I suggest it is worth it. So I leave you with this question. How could you serve God by buying some friends? <laughs>